0: I'm Alex Mito, and I'm James Milley, and this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of the Superfine Art Fair. It's the number one art fair for artists in the United States. As you probably know, we're also one of the top online business resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. Today, I've got some exciting news to share with you all about this very podcast. You're now among over 5,000 unique listeners to the Artist Business Plan every month. And What's even more exciting, you're tuning in from all over the globe, over 70 countries and growing every week. We genuinely love connecting with you and providing support and guidance to artists and professionals around the world, but we need your help to make us the number one art business podcast out there. After you listen to this episode with the incredible artist, Ken Goshen, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple podcasts or your preferred listening platform that helps business minded artists just like you find the artist business plan and benefit from our, and our guests, amazing advice and perspective. So without further ado, Ken Goshen is an NYC-based artist and educator with a background in classical painting and printmaking. His art brings together traditional techniques and a contemporary outlook. He works primarily in oil, pastel, charcoal, and graphite, and has exhibited his works with us at Superfine Fairs here in New York in both 2018 and 2019. He also hosts a podcast of his own called Arts Cool, where he talks to fellow artists about their inspirations and about the world. Welcome to the show, Ken.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's good to see you.
0: It's a pleasure. It's good to see you too. So before we get started, Ken, I want to ask you something to help our audience get to know the real you. And that question is, what's the earliest memory that you have of art? And what was your path to dedicating your life to it?
1: Wow, I love that question. Well, I'm Israeli, so everything childhood is Israel-bound for me. And my grandfather was Shomer Shabbat, which means he keeps Shabbat, which means that on Shabbat, you can't really do many of the things that you enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis. And art is one of them, like you're not allowed to write or to draw, to make paintings. And so I remember being a very young kid, like maybe four, five when we when we used to go to my grandfather, just waiting the whole Shabbat, like the one thing that I was just looking forward to. I was waiting for sundown, uh, Shabbat leaves at uh, sa- Saturday night, just so that I can grab these pages and start scribbling. And I remember that as a kid, it just blew my mind that there could be a reason for me not to paint or not to draw. And it was those moments when you couldn't make art, you were not allowed religiously, that I just felt that incredible urge to get something onto paper. So, at those Saturday nights when I was with uh, at my grandfather's place, I would just make like a hurricane of art <laughs> when it was like six or seven at night. You couldn't get me off the page. So, that, that's a very strong memory for me. With regards to the path that it took, kept on drawing, kept on painting in many different frameworks like I went to an art high school both in Israel and I spent one year in an art high school here in New York in in LaGuardia. Then I joined the military and I actually was fortunate enough to go to a unit where artistically inclined people were recruited uh, for very special classified projects. Uh, So I had the opportunity to work on really fascinating and and important projects for the Israeli military that had to do with my skills. You could even say that during my military service, I, I advanced these goals. And then straight out of the army, I went to study classical painting. When I graduated from classical painting school after three years, I went to Parsons to study contemporary art. So I finished a four-year degree. And now I'm, I'm all about the art still. So not, not, much, uh, not, not much of a break in my uh, passion for this uh, craft.
0: I love it. And Ken, you might be the first person ever on this show who did art for the Israeli army as part of your path to becoming an artist. I love that. And I love your your first story too, as well. That's something that it resonates so much with so many of our listeners, I imagine, who have felt that in- incredible urge to just create. And maybe you have a barrier standing in your way that you can't do it, but you rush like a hurricane to actually creating something. I love that. You actually also have a podcast called Arts Cool, which I love that name. Uh, and we can tell you are passionate about educating people about art. We know that. What has been the most rewarding part of running a podcast and what motivated you to create it?
1: Mm, I, love, I love that question. So to anyone listening, art school, it's a pun, but it's spelled with with uh, with uh, an apostrophe. It's like art is cool, right? So it... it's art school and art school. And what inspired me to, to do that, I guess you could say, is almost like a feeling of longing i was really missing those conversations that i had back in painting school and my my fondest memories when i was when i was studying classical art is just being there with other people who are after the same thing like in that same mindset wanting to get better wanting to grow as artists wanting to really accomplish all those things that we're setting out to do and those conversations just gave me so much and I just felt, especially during Corona, which is when I, when I started my podcast, I just felt, gosh, I, I just want to talk to other painters. I want to talk to other painters just to kind of get that feeling that we're all in this together and we're all going through these same struggles. Even if you're a professional artist, even if you're a very good painter, you still have these kind of ongoing questions in your mind and things that occupy that space. And I think a lot of other people kind of feel alone in that journey so i felt like it was my responsibility if i was going to go out there and and talk to interesting people about these interesting things i might as well make it public and i'm always really happy to be able to to educate and to teach people about art because i think just in general the i guess you could say classical art contemporary classical art scene is a fairly niche area of the art world it's a it's a pretty small bubble and for a lot of people around the world they have no entry point to it at all right if you live in the states or if you live in israel there's a lot that you can do if you want to study classical arts. We're, we're really fortunate in that we have a lot of institutions that still do, deal with that. But I get emails from people in India. I get, I get emails from, from people in Iran. People who are saying like, we don't really have anywhere to go if we want to study this stuff, but we love it. You know, we open up the art history books and we're super attracted to that kind of aesthetic. And these people feel fortunate that, uh, that these things are out there. So I feel like there's a kind of mission behind it. I really want to make these things accessible and I want to do my best to create a kind of platform for people who are in areas, in locations where these things are very hard to find just to provide an entry point uh, for them to know whether or not this is something that they want to dedicate more time to. To anybody interested, you should look for Art School with Ken Goshen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I love that. And I love the pun. I actually didn't get it when I first read the the title, but I think it's an amazing pun. And I like that you're providing that entry point, right, for something that's so niche and that you can't find everywhere. Um, And that's the beauty of podcasting. Like you mentioned, you know, people in India and all over. Uh, th- these resources may be available to us in New York City or Los Angeles or in Tel Aviv, but it's difficult if you're, you know, let's say in a remote part of the world and you want to find access to especially specific knowledge, like let's say art business advice that we provide or the contemporary classical painting that you're talking about, Ken. I think that's such an exciting way to approach the podcasting genre. And I definitely would encourage our listeners to check out Ken's podcast as well. We'll provide some links to that in the notes.
1: Thank you, Alex. And I just want to add to that, that despite the fact that I've mostly been talking to figurative artists because these are, these are kind of the people with whom I hang. But I also also try to kind of branch out and talk about other things. So you're always invited. If you want to talk about art business, it would be a pleasure to have you on. And my most recent episode is actually with uh, Jesse Smith, who's an acclaimed tattoo artist. Cool. So everything that's going on and even in the parameters of the, of the art sphere, I would really love to get on the podcast. So you're, this is an open invitation, live on air.
0: Well, thank you, Ken. I would love to do that. So we'll have to follow up and make it happen. I I always enjoy being on other podcasts as well. And I I know I'd like to be on yours. (laughs) So sticking from that into something else that you do right now, Ken, you're offering live art lessons on your website, both private lessons and workshops. And that's a really cool, affordable, accessible way to give more people access to learning some of the techniques around art what are the most common things that you find that these, let's say, prospective artists want to learn from your classes?
1: That's an interesting question. First of all, I I really love teaching, and I have to say right off the bat that I'm I'm blessed to be doing what I'm doing, and I'm even more blessed to have so many people be interested in these lessons. Because when I when I started doing them, it wasn't so obvious that so many people were going to be interested in in learning the classics. But I'm I'm super happy to discover. That people are and that's just always counting my blessings you know just not not something to be taken for granted because these are the kinds of pieces that you don't necessarily see when you walk around the Chelsea Gallery District and stuff like that but I think what makes that question pretty difficult to answer is of course these people want to learn classical art but it's not because this is some kind of trend that people want to learn more classical art these days it's just I'm guessing these are the people that come to me right so if somebody wants to learn Abstract art or installation video, then they're probably not going to go to me. They're they're going to go to to your partner James, right? If they want to learn how to how to do crazy photo editings and things like that, I'm just like not the person. <laughs> so I think I think I think people are smart enough to recognize that if if they're coming to study with me, then we're learning the classics, we're learning portraiture, we're learning still life, we're learning really the fundamentals of this kind of uh, realistic painting. Uh, so I'm just fortunate and happy to see that this there's still a hunger for that and uh, just makes me really optimistic.
0: Guys, there's a hunger for classical painting, and that's an excellent segue into my next question, which is that, Ken, you have a series about challah bread that I honestly can't stop staring at, and it's actually how we met back in 2017 at the Governor's Island Art Fair. The bread really pulls me in. Now, I know a little bit about that series, but can you give our listeners? Some insight into your creative process and maybe what inspired you to create that series or some of your other series as well.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. And thank you for bringing it up. And it it was such a fun day that day. So it's a nice throwback. If there's something that I really try to do in my work is I like to take the classical aesthetics, the classical techniques, but to use them in a way that feels much more contemporary, that feels grounded in, in the stuff that we do today. And of course, abstraction and and open-minded interpretations of of an art piece these are these are things that are very very strongly rooted in, in the contemporary art tradition and so what's super interesting to me about challah bread is that the form of the bread the shape that it has is so ambiguous so weird that when you really close up on it and and you play around with different crops for the composition you play around with different background colors the bread can really start to look like anything it's 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 like this experience that you get when you stare at clouds and suddenly you start seeing faces you start seeing landscapes you start seeing whatever horses doesn't really matter you know our imagination opens up when it's confronted with something that looks very concrete and yet we don't know what it is. So making something look concrete, look three-dimensional, look persuasive, look illusionistic, and yet leaving out that part that tells the brain, oh, that is a piece of bread, (laughs) makes it such an engaging experience, at least for me. So I really want to make it so that people understand okay that's a bit of reality but it's also a bit of reality that I can put myself into which is something that contemporary art does so well it leaves room for the audience to really put themselves into the work so a lot of people who bought these pieces said oh I really wanted to buy it because it reminds me of and then they say what it reminds them of and it to me that's the most beautiful part of these pieces that everybody can come in and insert their own interpretation into it. And and it's almost at that point that the piece is complete, right? Because I, ca- I know what I was imagining, but to really bring it to a situation like it's a, at an art fair and I'm starting to get all that feedback from other people, what they see in the work, that's really fascinating to me because it makes art into a real conversation, which is, I think, something that all artists are excited about. You want to put an art piece out there into the world, and then you want to kind of, um almost let the public finish it you know let the viewer finish it in their own mind and and i think the challah is a is a really exciting way into into that kind of combination and another thing that i want to give to art students out there because I, i'm always education minded people who nowadays during corona or under any kind of circumstances want to get better at painting people but don't have access to a model You know, paint bread. Bread comes in many different colors. It comes in many different shapes. And it's an excellent still life subject that you can buy super cheap, put it in your studio, and mixing those bread colors sets you up perfectly for later painting many different kinds of skin colors. So it's highly recommended.
0: You heard it here first, guys. Paint bread. If you can't get models into your studio right now, paint bread and you'll be practicing for that. I think it's an amazing piece of insight. And I also want to kind of tie some of what you've said, Ken, to the business side of selling art. And it's something I've always admired about you in our fairs, is that you have such an amazing way of introducing your work to the people and creating that conversation between the viewers and the art and the art that you've created. And I think that's something for artists to keep in mind as they're selling their work or as they're displaying their work for sale is that you're introducing it in that sort of conversation with the people. It's not just an object that someone buys. It's That's what makes art different from, you know, I, I hate to say all design, but from like, let's say simpler design, is that it doesn't just serve a purpose. It's actually a form of communication and conversation. So I think, you know, visually fostering that, but also being ready for that in-person conversation with people where you invite them, like something I've seen you do many times, can invite them to ask what, what does this mean to you or what, you know, what do you see in this work? And, and you know, kind of like the clouds or the Rorschach blot effect uh, with the art. I think that's an amazing, amazing perspective on it. Thank you. You're welcome. Going back, you know, we've mentioned a couple of times that you've exhibited and sold your work at art fairs, including Superfine. What do you think are some of the benefits for artists of showing their work at art fairs and for artists who are looking to build their buying base and generate exposure? Like what are some of the effects you've seen from art fairs?
1: That's a super interesting question, super important, because since I've done several fairs by now, I feel like every new one that I that I do teaches me more uh, about the process of, of, of selling art, because obviously, all, all studio artists listening right now are going to know that we're not, <laughs> this skill is not built in. We're not just kind of, oh, pe- people who are natural artists are, are, are seldomly natural salesmen, and I think... The the kind of base level advantage, and there is a deeper advantage, but the base level advantage is if you are just starting out and you don't have a lot of access to, you know, unbiased viewers, it's a great reality check because when you're just showing art to your family and your friends despite the fact that it's, you know, it's very fun and everybody's going to tell you that your art is really cool, there's nothing like coming in contact with the real world. And honestly, the art fair is much more real world than the gallery experience because when people come to your gallery opening, they're going to be nice to you. Everybody's nice at the galleries, but the art fair is like, that's the shark tank. That's where you really understand, okay, this is what draws people in and this is what doesn't and these are the people who are doing well let's look very closely at what they're up to it just it's like boot camp you know Mil- militarily i have to say like this is it's a it's a tight tight 4 days or 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 3 days d- depending on the fair and you just leave there with a wealth of knowledge about what works and what needs to be done and if you're wise you know you're going to you're going to have your notebook open and you're going to be taking notes and i've seen a lot of people have basically the, the the wrong kind of approach when they come to an art fair and they see that their art isn't selling as well as other people's art, and then they get very emotional and they're like, Oh, why is that working? Why is the other why is the other person selling more than me? And and it's not how we learn. And I've had my, my great teacher David Nippo always told me that. From we learn the most from failures. Whenever we succeed, it's always a mystery. Like nobody knows why something really worked, but when something failed miserably, then you know, okay, here are the mistakes that I've made, and here are the conclusions that I can learn from it. So, really, take until you've taken your art to an art fair you really don't know what your art is worth and you really don't know what you're worth when it comes to explaining your art, making it accessible to people and making it making it framing it in a way that people want to later take it with them and 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 have it in their homes. So this is this is an exceptionally important um, opportunity for people to to experience. And now I think the deeper uh, the deeper benefit this is something that I it took me a while to understand. At first I thought, and this is what a lot of people think, it's like, nobody knows my work yet, but I'm going to put it at the art fair and then people are going to see it, you know, fall in love with it, take it home. And I think that's that's not exactly how this works because this sounds like a one-step process, but there's actually multiple steps in that process. First, these people need to move from the place where they don't know where you are to knowing who you are and, and, and remembering it. Then they have to move from knowing who you are To liking what you do then they have to move from like knowing who you are liking what you do and deciding to buy it right so the art fair sometimes even when people don't buy you don't know that people have moved through some of those previous steps from not knowing who you are to knowing who you are this is something that you can't measure in dollars from knowing who you are to loving what you do that's a very important step and that also cannot be measured in dollars so what I found to be extremely beneficial and has contributed to a lot of of the success that I had in in numerous fairs is I want to make sure that I have enough people that have crossed through the earlier steps and that is something that you can do before the fair right so if you're going on social media and you're putting a lot of effort into it then people already know who you are and love what you do and once that happens if you tell them listen there's an art fair it's going to be four days. And after those four days, those paintings are going to be gone. Then that triggers that part of their brain of the FOMO, right? I don't want to miss out. I've been following this guy for two months. Now I don't want to miss out. There's an opportunity to buy these paintings now. So the art fair is like that one opportunity that all of the work that you've done on social media is like leading you towards. And uh, the last time that I did super fine, the majority of the sales that that I had were, were people who told me, Yes, I've been following you for like six months now and I'm so happy that I came here and I and I bought the painting. Right. So there's a lot of groundwork that you can do to actually make the most out of your art fair experience and, and really conceptualize it in a just in a very structured way. Like people need to know you, people need to love what you do, and then they're gonna and then they're gonna buy.
0: Ken, I couldn't agree with you more. And artists, there's so, so much value in what Ken's just said. You're going to want to actually rewind this and listen again because it's so important. Just to kind of hit on some of the key points there. Like you talked about the, the failure and kind of like we, you know, some people say failing upwards. I think that's so important. I and mean, after seeing, it, you know, 12 fairs, hundreds of artists, I mean, I always analogize it to when you're doing a yoga class and you can't do a particular pose. And the teacher says, don't worry, that's just information for your body and your mind to know how to achieve it the next time. And that's something, you know, you're in this this space for four days, your work is coming there. It's a new city, a new place, a new environment. You know, don't be upset if it's not a huge seller, but just watch and see what's working, what isn't working and learn and grow from there. Talking about that last point, I mean, we call that the buyer's journey, right? So for any product or anything that is sold, there's a buyer's journey. and You know, sometimes people have that expectation walking into an art fair that they're going to take people through the entire journey in one moment. And you know what? That may happen once in a while. Someone comes in and they go, I love it. I've got the budget. This was perfect. I want it. And, you know, kudos to you. But that's maybe 20, 30% of the time. The rest of the time, the way Ken said, you're taking people who already know your work and they are falling in love with it because they're seeing it in person and they're meeting you. You're taking people who've never, ever seen your work, heard of you, nothing at all, and introducing them to you. And hopefully you're gathering their contact information so you can keep them in your loop. Um, and, And then the people who really already love your work are coming and buying it. So really thinking of it as steps in a journey and your real goal is not to walk out with, say you paid, you know, $2,000 for your booth, walking out with 5,000 in sales, it's really, you know, moving people through that journey so that you have, you know, a dedicated audience for years to come. So it's, I think that's such valuable insight for artists out there. And I can certainly corroborate that as an art fair
1: owner. <laughs> and also, it is possible to get out there with with. in sales that if you've if you've accomplished a part of the buyer's journey in advance, if you've done sufficient groundwork on social media before the fair, there is a crazy correlation. I mean, the people who get the job done ahead of time are usually the people who are happy with their fair experience. It makes it more fun too. you know, (laughs) it makes it more fun because then people come to the fair and they're, they're excited to meet you. They already know who you are. They say, they say all these like really fun things about about your work that they've been looking at it for for a while and it's just super fun. It make it makes the whole experience very enjoyable.
0: Yeah, and it, it reminds me of another saying which is that you make your own luck. So rather than just showing up, hanging your art and like, you know, keeping your fingers crossed, you're actually creating your own luck. And as you're selling those works to people who do know you and do love your work already. Others who don't know your work come up and see that there's action. They see that there's excitement around your work, and then you actually increase your chances of having those impulse buys as well. So I, I completely agree. I think that's really, really good insight on art fairs.
1: This is this is another story that that I heard in in art school, and it was actually a story that that's meant to teach us. Well, first I'm going to tell the story, and then and then people are going to understand. I think where that ties into and 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 to all the stuff that we were talking about. So. The story goes like this. So the emperor of China or any other country that you want to make the story about really wants a great painting of a rooster. So they track down the best painting in the best painter in China or whatever country you want it to be about. And they, you know, they agree on the terms of the commission. They say, okay, we pay you this and that. Uh, We want the best painting of a rooster and you have one year. Will that be enough? Yes. Yes. One year is going to be enough. Okay, great. And then, you know, the messenger leaves, They, they pay him the money all is well. So one, one year passes, and the messenger comes back to the painter's studio and says, okay, well, a year has passed, you've, you've received your payment, now we want the painting of the rooster. And the painter says, okay, yeah, great, no problem. He sets up a blank canvas on his easel, and in 10 minutes, he just puts the rooster on the on the canvas, and it's the most fantastic, majestic rooster ever that was done in 10 minutes. So the messenger is, is outraged. He, he says, well, w- what is this? I mean, we gave you a year. We gave you such such a high budget. And, and then you, you produce this work in 10 minutes. And then he says, walk, walk into my studio. They walk into the studio and they see a year's worth of rooster sketches. Right? So you never know what went down behind an overnight success right you never know behind a a successful art fair booth how much work they've put in beforehand or even a painter who makes a great sketch in 10 minutes and people say you know even this is also something that you can you can tell the people who want to buy your work you know they they, they would say, oh, what do you mean? I don't want to pay like $500 for this. You must have done it in 30 minutes. And, and the appropriate response is, I've done it in 32 years. I've been doing this since I was born. And so that's the amount of time that it took me to be able to do that in 30 minutes or however much it took.
0: That's an amazing parable. And it's so important to, you know, the way you plan your booth, the way you plan your work and Again, showing that if you have a way of showing the work that's gone into something so people can actually see it. I believe you, did you use an iPad one time at one of the fairs, Ken, to show your process?
1: Yeah, I had a computer and I also put thumb drives on, on the wall. I put like USB drives on the wall. It was, uh, that was a really fun idea there to to people who are interested. I had this, I had this notion where this is this is a a lot of these quirky things that come up uh, while I'm thinking about what is art and what are we actually trying to sell here, and what are we actually trying to do here? So for me, I've received a lot of requests from from students that want to buy my art just because they think that once they own it, they're right about that. they They correctly assume that once they own it, they can study it very closely to to learn from it just like I go to museums all the time and study the works of people I admire so I thought well let's let's raise the bar here and so I included a thumb drive with the entire painting process of all the pieces that I had up in the fair so for people who bought the work they also bought the video of however long it took like 6 hours 7 hours each painting was documented And they got it all on a thumb drive. So it's also a video for the whole family. And if the person is a painting enthusiast, then they can know exactly how every single brush mark was put on the canvas that they bought.
0: That was so cool. And I think ideas like this that can show people what goes into the work, instead of being like prickly or upset when someone questions it, especially I find photographers often, you know, someone says, well, it's just a photo. I could take a photo. But like you said, it's not the 30 seconds it takes to snap the photo. It's the 30, 40, 50 years that you spent studying that medium and that art that went into it. So any way you can show your audience and tell your audience what went into it, I mean, its I think it's an amazing way to help sell your art. So I think I think that's great. I'm glad to hear. Cool. So shifting gears a little away from art fairs. I could, I, we could probably talk about art fairs all day. I and mean, maybe do a whole other podcast on that.
1: Let's do it on my podcast.
0: Uh, That's what we should do. I love it. And I have a lot of experience with it. Uh Uh-huh, indeed. So let's talk a little bit about Patreon. You have a Patreon account for your work. Do you find that that's an underutilized platform for artists to make money that they should use more often? Or what are your thoughts on Patreon?
1: Well, I actually don't know if it's underutilized or overutilized because I don't, I don't really have the numbers of how many people use Patreon. But the thing I have to say about Patreon first, perhaps maybe I should explain to people what Patreon is. So Patreon is a website where people can basically become patrons of your work; they can become supporters of the, of your work, and for a very, very modest uh, monthly fee, mine starts at two dollars, people get a lot of like perks and benefits and cool stuff. So ex- for example, on my Patreon, for just $2 a month, you get to join me for two live events a month, sometimes more than that, and have access to like 30 hours of video content, including lessons and, and tips and things like that. And that that's just $2. And then for people who want to pay more, they can pay five, they can pay 10, and those benefits just increase. And so essentially, it's almost like the GoFundMe, like crowd funds model for supporting artists that you appreciate so if anybody is interested in all the educational fun stuff that i have to offer on my patreon they should go to patreon.com ken goshen that's patreon.com ken now to your question i think that it's important to understand that much like there is a buyer's journey there is a patron's journey you know people i, I see a lot of the time you know people expect to just open a patreon And then just have the masses swooning in to support their art. And it's it's a completely unrealistic expectation. First, you want to make sure that people appreciate what you do, love what you do, and want to see more of it. If you're not at the point where people want to see more of what you do, like they've scoured your Instagram feed or they scoured your, your YouTube videos, and you're getting comments like, I need more of this stuff, I need more of it now then you're probably not at the point where you can open a Patreon. And my recommendation to people who want to start using Patreon as as a way to to fund their art adventures is be generous. When you are generous, people will be generous in return. This is something that artists really have a difficult time doing. For some reason, artists really think that they're guarded and they're very introverted and, and that's okay, but... In my experience, the people who do the best on Patreon are also the people who put out the most amount of valuable content out there for free. So I I put as much free, you know, high-quality educational content on Instagram as the as the platform can literally withstand, right? There's there used to be a 15-minute limit on IGTV videos and I put 15 minutes demos and educational stuff on igtv then they increased it to an hour now i put an hour like as much as the as as much as the platform can possibly carry i will put out there for free to people for people to enjoy and for people to learn once they watch your one hour video and then at the end they hear oh if i pay just two dollars i get like an insane amount of content more of this stuff that this guy's already put out there for free then they feel like he's been so generous so far I can be generous too and these messages that I'm getting from my patrons always sound like this, I was blown away by the amount of stuff that you put out there for free and I wanted to support you and now that I am supporting you and I have access to all this behind the scene content, I can also see that they these things are amazing but at least the people who come to support me, they're, they're not primarily doing it for the perks, though the perks are amazing, They are, but they come there because they are overwhelmed with, with the generosity that I've displayed and they want to display generosity in return. So karma, what you put out is what comes back to you. So be generous with, uh, with what you know and uh, what you can share with the world.
0: I think that's good advice in general, Ken, but for the artists listening, if you want to get involved in Patreon, be generous And I would totally agree with you, whether it's GoFundMe or Kickstarter or Patreon, the more people you have already at that stage of like loving and wanting to support you and your work, the better it's going to do on that platform versus just popping onto the platform and thinking that all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have huge response. It's much better if you already have that audience that's excited before you jump over there. I think the the generosity thing, it sounds almost like a freemium, which is a common software strategy where they give out a really good free product that you love using. And then for only $2 or only $9.99, you can get an even better version. Uh, I mean, Photoshop has done that. Lots and lots of different softwares have done similar things. So treat it that way. I think it's a really, really good idea. I know a lot more about Patreon now. I didn't really understand how it worked. And now if I were an artist, I would be starting one. There you go. Cool. So this has been an amazing chat, but we are coming to the end here, Ken. We always like to end it this way with one more word of advice that you have for an artist who's trying to up their art selling game.
1: Okay. First of all, I think today social media is very, very important for people who do marketing. You know, whether it's art marketing or any other kind of marketing, you can't really do it if you're not out there on social media. And there is a very big misunderstanding uh, among artists with what they should be doing on social media if they want to be selling their work. And I'm going to try to clarify that as concisely as I can. Basically, the misunderstanding about how to adequately set up your social media such that it can promote your your selling action is, it shouldn't look like your website. It should really not be pristine scans of your work, organized in a neat little grid, because when people are confronted with that, th- that is a very alienating situation, right? Imagine how it feels like to walk into the gallery, even if you see something that you like, but you have nothing to explain or contextualize those works. Initially, you're you're turned off. You don't really want to buy, you don't even want to follow. But then the gallerist walks over and they say, oh, I see that you're interested. Can I tell you a little bit more about that artist? And then you're like, okay, so this artist is... Uh, That's his hometown, whatever. This is the kind of stuff that he likes to do. So it's really the contextualization and the framing of the work that brings people in and makes them want to buy. So when you're debating whether or not to put an Instagram post of the clean, cropped, final painting looking pristine or messy with your hands covered in paint and with a brush and frame, it's the latter. Because the, it's the latter, and I know it was it was a very very big shift for me. Because I have I, I have the same instincts that every artist does. Like let me let me just show the the final work, uh, looking as good as it can be, and and let's move on. But when people see these kinds of pages, in my experience, they're not motivated to further engage with your work. But when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, which is difficult for artists, but allow yourself to be vulnerable, show a little bit of the context show a little bit of the studio, you're going to do better with making people want to engage with your art, engage with your journey. They feel like they know you better. And when they feel like they know you better, they are more likely to ask you, is that for sale? Like, I want that in my living room. Whatever you put on Instagram or on Facebook or I don't know, TikTok, it's for younger people than me. I I can't, this thing (laughs) gives me seizures, but I assume it follows the the same logic is it needs to be somewhere in between your professional website and your personal diary it's in it's in the middle you know you want people to see the work but you also want people to understand what it's like to be you to be you in the studio and once once people have that kind of relationship with you as a person that's when they are more inclined to buy your work because they're not they're not just buying a pretty object, pretty object, they can buy a print of Rembrandt. And with all due respect to all classical painters among us, even a print of Rembrandt is better than, you know, 85% of, <laughs> of, of, of a lot of art. You know what I mean? So they're not they're not just buying the beautiful object. They're buying a piece of your soul. They're buying a piece of you as an artist. And so it's kind of important to be vulnerable out there. Uh, and people respond to this vulnerability and uh, they want to engage with it. And then they they want a piece of it.
0: So guys, be vulnerable on your social media. You're introducing yourself. So it's showing something between a personal diary and your professional website. That is what you're going to be doing with your social media. I think that's so poignant. That's a great point on which to end the show. And to all of you business artists out there, Ken has been here with us today sharing this perspective, this amazing perspective with all of you you're definitely, definitely going to want back, Want to go back and take notes. Remember, you can listen to this episode and all of our past episodes on our website at www.superfine.world. If you want to connect with Ken and his projects, you can follow him on Instagram at Ken Goshen and visit www.kengoshen.com which will be in the show notes as well. We'll also include Ken's Patreon and some information about his podcast so you can listen in and check out his Patreon as well. As always, remember that we are Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share whenever you're listening to and enjoying the artist business plan. And we're also really excited about our upcoming fair schedule, which includes in-person shows in Seattle, DC, New York, LA, San Francisco, and yes, Miami. We'll be returning. To find out more about how to apply and exhibit with Superfine, drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world, and one of our team will get right back to you. You can also find all that information online at www.superfine.world. And once again, we'd really appreciate it if you could take just a moment of your time, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews are so, so critical in helping other artists, entrepreneurs, just like yourselves, find us. And of course, we love to read your amazing comments too. As always, I would like to end the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. And the quote is, the man who has confidence in himself gains the confidence of others. And that is a Hasidic proverb. Ken, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. I'm so glad to see you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and perspective with our listeners.
1: Thank you for having me, Alex. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure has
0: been all mine. And everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoneysuperfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoneysuperfine.world.